My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Hi, I'm Pastor Kevin. Uh, Man, church family, I love you and I miss you. And this is an exciting time. And there's been so many changes. But one thing that hasn't changed is our vision. We're about leading you in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we do that like Jesus modeled where we're going to connect into a relationship with God. And we're going to connect into an intimate relationship with each other. And it may look different right now and be over Zoom. But that's still our vision. And then we grow together. And we're doing our small groups all over the place. And we're doing them by Zoom. And we're doing them live and we're doing them in our building and that's one of the heartbeats of our church and then we're a servant church we have favor with our community we've been continually serving during this covid crisis and we're serving eastwood elementary right now we're doing the outpost at shoot park where we serve meals and just a variety of ways that we get the privilege to serve and then we lead once we've gone through this process, once someone has taken us through this process, and we go back and do the same thing. And so that's our vision, to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus. As we do new church, one of the exciting things that we've had to embrace and grow in and learn in is how to... Um, get better at doing online services. And if you've been watching them, you can see, I say they're incredible. I'll match them up against anybody's. And we want to thank Aaron and his team and the tech guys. And, 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 you know, as James says, it's hard to preach to an empty crowd, you know, an empty space, but it's been really exciting. So we want to thank him. And because of the quality of this, I want to introduce you to something that I've been practicing and that I think is going to be our next step as we move towards reopening our Sunday services. And that's to have watch parties in our home. I've been part of three of them right now, and really what you do is you just open up your home, you open up your heart, you open up your arms, you don't have to be a leader, you don't have to know it all, you don't have to be the greatest shepherd, you just have to be willing to open up your home. And then, you know, at 10.30, people will come in and just do a nice greeting, be prepared, you know, have some relationship, greet each other, and then provide some coffee and snacks, and then we watch the service together at 11 a.m., and we worship together, and it's beautiful to be with each other. And then after that, we're, uh, we just have a conversation, just a spiritual conversation. We're going to provide one question that you guys can have with who's ever there. Now, uh, many of you have been watching online, and here's what we're asking you. You might be watching with your family of four or a couple friends. We're asking you to open up to a couple more people, and we're going to provide a kit for you if you're going to host, and also if you want to participate, we'll provide a host home for you to go to. Some of you we know via the survey aren't going to return right away, and that's okay because we get the best of both. Can you imagine that 11 a.m., we have hundreds at Sunrise Church, and we have hundreds in the community, and we're worshiping together. Now, if you're interested in hosting 
a watch party or participating in one, go on our website and we'll have buttons there for each of you. If you want to host one, click the button. There'll be a list of things. We want to support you. I have a team ready. We're going to provide a little kit. We'll deliver it to your house. If you want to participate, we have another team that's going to be ready and they'll plug you into one. So that's our vision, you guys, is that we want to continue to connect, grow, serve, and lead together. Love you. Good morning, Sunrise. Uh, wherever you are, we've got a few of the worship team and uh, just kind of gathered around the auditorium. Hopefully you're in a nice, safe, warm place where you're able to participate. Uh, you're watching on your computer, maybe your TV, uh, your tablet, your phone, whatever. But you are a part of our family. We together are the body of Christ. We're Sunrise Church. And so thank you for tuning in and thank you for being a part I know it's a long journey, and last week I said it's been three months since we've been doing this, and that does get challenging, which brings up one of the questions that I've wanted to ask. Why is all this going on? Why is there evil? Why is there pain? Or in this situation, why is there suffering going on in the world today? If there is a God, why doesn't he show up? That philosopher, atheistic philosopher, David Hume, he summed it up this way. He said, either God is all-powerful and he chooses to not eradicate evil, uh, that means he's evil himself, or he's a wimpy, powerless God and he can't do it. Uh, he goes, I don't want to worship any of those gods, and he threw the idea away. But it does bring up the good question. I mean, why are we suffering? Why are we struggling? Where is God if he really loves, if he really cares? Years ago, George Barna did a, a poll, and he asked people, just man on the street, woman on the street questions, and, and the question that kept coming up was, you know, if you could ask God any one question, what would it be? What would you ask him if you could just sit down with him face to face? And the number one answer was this, okay, explain it, God. Why is there evil? Why is there suffering? Why is there pain? Now, for some of us, this is an academic question, and it really kind of tantalizes our brain to think about this and to analyze the arguments, and, and that's, that's good. I've been there sometimes. But for others, others, this is a personal question. This is an emotional question. This is a physical question. It's a real question because right now you're experiencing it. You're experiencing pain, maybe physical pain, ailment. You're experiencing emotional pain. Man, a lot of us, we're, we're filled with anxiety and the stress of, you know, six-hour Zoom calls and not being able to hang out together and not go to Costco without a mask. You know what I mean? It's, it's a challenge. Um, I can't meet my friends at a coffee shop. I can't sit down and I, I say and, you know, hi and wave at people. And you know that that can only happen for so long. We're made for community, right? And so the question is personal for us. It really is. And maybe you're sitting there and you're watching and this is your question. Um, I hope today that in the journey of this, uh, God will speak to you. Uh, I, I know I could probably sum up a couple arguments for this, but I want to share a personal story. 
when I was dating my wife, I, I dated Mary Beth for five years, and uh, so that was 29, you know, plus years ago. And um, I would, uh, I was really in love. I was like a sick puppy, I'm telling you. And um, and so I lived in Boise, Idaho, and she lived in the Bay Area, California, in San Francisco, Richmond area. And um, I, I worked as a youth pastor, and so I figured out a way to front load my week with work, and I would spend 12 hours on a Thursday. I did this about every four to six weeks. I'd spend all day on a Thursday driving down. I'd leave Boise. I'd cut through Idaho, the corner of Oregon, go into uh, Nevada. I saw Winnemucca more times than I ever want to see Winnemucca, and through Reno, down over the mountains, and I would see her. And I would see her on Friday. We'd spend all day together, and then I would drive back on Saturday. Has 24 four hours to do that. But again, I was one sick puppy. And so the fact is it was great, but it was a long drive, but that's what you do for love, right? Well, there was one time it was in a winter and I'll never forget this. I was driving uh, into the corner of Oregon there. There's nothing in the corner of Oregon. It's pretty flat, uh, a little bit of hills, but mostly flat. And it was during the winter and there was a snowstorm that came upon me. And uh, it, it wasn't just a snowstorm. And I've been in a lot of snowstorms. This was serious. This was a white out blizzard. And I remember creeping along in my car because I couldn't see the road. I couldn't see lines painted on the road. I didn't know where I was. I knew I had emergency provisions. I'm I, the guy that always keeps a blank in the car and extra gas and whatever. But the fact is, is that I didn't know what to do. I was afraid of running off the road and getting stuck. And, and uh, so I thought, I just started praying. And I said, God, send, send something. And it was about that time I looked behind me and this big uh, trucker was coming up. And he, he was going a lot faster than I was, that's for sure. And his lights were behind me. And, and then he passed me. And then he, as he passed me, he started to pull ahead. And I could see his taillights. And all I could think of at that moment was follow those taillights. And, um, and so I did. I mean, if I, I knew that if I could just stay close to him. Um, we'd all die together or he'd get me through. And, um, I didn't die by the way, in case you're wondering, uh, I made it through and I made it through because I was able to focus on a couple points of light. And if I, if I just had my focus fixed there and not worry about the blizzard around me, not worry about not seeing what maybe I thought I should be seeing, but just focus on those taillights, God would get me through. And he did. And I think the same thing is true with this question. You know, I could throw out some theological arguments, and I'll share some thoughts today, but really I think we got to keep our eyes on God if we're ever going to have a suitable answer to the question. And so today I want to share with you uh, five points of light that I believe will help us as we walk this journey. Uh, the first point is this, and it's really important, is God is not the creator of evil and suffering. He created cats, which are evil, but he's not the creator of any other evil and suffering in the world today. I mean... When you, when you think about it, God is a good God. He's a loving God. The Bible describes him that way. So then, well, then, well, then where did all this come from, right? Well, when you look at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, it says, God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, making, marking the sixth day. In the very beginning, this world was paradise on earth. It was absolute paradise. There was no sin. Adam and Eve walked together without shame between themselves between God, and they walked with him. Well, if God's not the author of evil and suffering, where did it come from? Well, you know, the Bible describes that there was a temptation point. There was a moment when Adam and Eve were confronted with the option to follow God or not follow God, to pretend to be their own God. And Satan himself tempted them, and they strayed away, and they sinned. 
Well, but, but why would God even give people free will in the first place, right? If he knew that they were going to fall into sin, why would he give them that opportunity? Well, you think about this. The greatest value in, in our lives is love. And it's the ability to love. And it's the ability to choose love. It's the ability to have free will to make decisions. I mean, I was walking with my family yesterday. We were at Washington Square and a couple stores were open. We walked by the uh, Lego store and um, there was this really cool stormtrooper made out of Legos and everything. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, if you were to take something like that, make a Lego person or whatever, put a little voice box in them or, you know, put a Raspberry Pi computer in there and program it to do all these things and especially say things like, really, you're looking good today. Great job today. How was your day? I love you. You know, you would know that no matter how many times those words were repeated, they were programmed words. They weren't real words. I mean, you could get a life-size doll that looks just like a human that says, I love you, but they, they don't. Because in order to have love, there has to be the ability to not have love. There has to be the ability to choose not to love. And so God chose to give us the opportunity to express free will. I'll share more about that in a minute. But there are two kinds of evil that came about because of our sinfulness. The first kind is moral evil. The Bible says that all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. This is the kind of evil, the immorality, the pride, the arrogance, the suffering that results in our lives when we turn away from a good godly path and we stray away. You know, we've all done things outside of the will of God. We've all done things that have gone off the path. The Bible says we've all sinned, right? We've all fallen short of his standard. And so therefore, he's given us the, uh, the responsibility for that, that you and I are responsible for our actions. You know, I had the privilege, a great privilege for 10 years of traveling to East Africa two, three times a year and train pastors and work in a college. It was just a wonderful time. But one of the things that broke my heart was over and over again, seeing a lack of water, a lack of food, famine, poverty, to see the results of a genocide in Rwanda. And, you know, you go, where is God in that? Well, that's not God. That's moral evil. That is the evil in our hearts because the truth of the matter is we make enough food in the world today. We have enough water in the world today to feed everybody, every man, woman, and child 3,000 calories and give them their eight glasses of water. But you know what? It's the dictators, it's the leaders, it's the corporations that refuse to give things away. Now, you know, I'm just saying that if we all sacrificed, we could feed people around the world. But you know what? We've consumed far more than 3,000 calories today, right? That's like one McDonald's Happy Meal right there, you know? We don't think about it. But our choices, even our moral choices of what we do with our money, what we do with our time, if we changed our heart, the world could be a different place. It's never going to be paradise yet until Jesus comes back. But the truth is sometimes we're selfish. Sometimes we're irresponsible. Another way to look at it is to think about it this way. I mean, I, I could take this hand and I could, uh, well, I'm a righty. So I could take this hand and I could pick up a gun and I could kill someone with my hand. Or I could pick up a, a, a bowl of rice, get down on my knees and I could feed a child a bowl of rice. You know, it's my choice, right? I can argue about all these things, but the ultimate issue is a heart issue. We have a moral problem in the world today. You know, the second kind of evil is a natural evil. 
And that's a different kind. Earthquakes and famines and tornadoes and hurricanes in this sense that, that come about, viruses that come about. It's because humanity's broken at its core, but so is the world. The Apostle Paul says, for we know that all creation, that's, that's everything, that's even the earth, the dirt, everything has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. When God cursed Adam and Eve, he also cursed the ground. He also cursed creation. And the reality is this. Even nature is longing for redemption. My wife and uh, oldest son, we walked around the Trappist Abbey this week down there by Lafayette, and we walked around. Just stunningly beautiful country. I love the Willamette Valley. I love living in Oregon. It just is a marvel. But the truth of the matter is this, is that it's still broken. It still hurts. Um, Well, couldn't God have foreseen all this? Yeah. Couldn't he have stopped it? Yeah. Why did he go ahead and create all of this knowing it was going to be corrupted? Well, let me give you an illustration from parenting. If you're a mom or your dad or maybe grandma, grandpa, you know this. You know, before you have kids, uh, you, you kind of anticipate what it's going to look like and how it's going to be, how it's going to feel. And there's a lot of fear, a little trepidation in that. Um, and, and you know that there's the possibility of maybe a physical ailment, maybe some kind of a deformity. You know that the world in which we live in is, is, is pretty challenging today. And, you know, there would be a lot of reasons to say, I'm just not going to have kids because they might go astray or they might not uh, turn out the way I want or they... Um, they, they might get killed as a, as a young child, and they might get cancer and die. You know, and those are all true things, and you, some of you have experienced that. But, you know, the reality is you have them anyway, right? Because there's also the opportunity for love. There's also the opportunity for this relationship that's like nothing else. I walked with my youngest son the other night. We walked, uh, did a couple miles, and we were just talking. And, man, I was so just caught up in loving my son because... We just had a relationship and we talked because there's that possibility too. The Bible says that God knows that people are going to come to him and he knows that people are going to reject him. And even for those, even for you, I've heard it been said that if even you alone would come to Christ, God would have died for you. He would have sent his son to die for you. And so for those that choose to receive him and welcome him in their heart, man, it's worth it all because one day he will recreate it. One day. One day he will work it out to his glory. In fact, I want to go to the second point of light, which parallels that. And it's this. Although suffering is not good, he can use it to accomplish good. Even though there's pain and evil and all kinds of problems in the world today, God can turn things around for good. We know the scripture that says this, that for this kind of sorrow, I'm sorry, uh, for we know that, uh, yeah, I'm going to look at the first point. Sorry. God uses the pain to draw people to Christ. I'm looking at the wrong screen here. God uses pain to draw people toward Christ. This is one of the ways he does it. This kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. In other words, God allows pain in our lives sometimes to wake us up, sometimes to lead us to repentance. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata was 17 years old, and she went diving and a swimming accident happened and she has been paralyzed from the neck down ever since 53 years she's been living in a wheelchair and this is what she said i would rather be in this wheelchair knowing god than on my feet without him christian uh, philosopher and uh, uh, just all-around amazing thinker peter kreeft said it this way what is the meaning and purpose of suffering in history well the meaning and purpose of suffering in history leads us to repentance 
Only after suffering, only after disaster did Israel, do nations, do individuals turn back to God. C.S. Lewis wrote it this way. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God sometimes uses pain to draw people to Christ. Another way God uses pain is this. He uses it to sharpen our character. I mean, it says this in Romans, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance, endurance develops strength of character. God can use the painful things in our lives. He can build character. He can grow us in wisdom, in virtue and stamina, but only through hardship, through sacrifice, through trials, through difficulty. That is how we learn. God also uses pain to discipline his children. He says this uh, in Hebrews, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Now, we usually rate discipline as not a very fun thing, right? And I understand that. It doesn't sound good when you're receiving it. And we confuse discipline with punishment, but they are two different things. Punishment is a just deserving result because of an action, right? But, that, but that's not discipline. Discipline is a loving mother, a loving father, correcting their son or daughter and bringing them back into alignment because they love them and they want a better future for them. That is what God does for us. And a third reason is how God can use it for good is this. He accomplishes positives out of negatives. <laughs> Heather Brown, she says this all the time. It, sometimes it annoys me, but it's so true. Look for the blessings, James. Look for the blessings. And it is true in all hardship. There are blessings. God can do something positive. Uh, the most famous verse on this, Romans 8, 28. For we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That doesn't mean that the thing is good. No, not at all. But that God can turn it around for good. I mean, our favorite Bible story about this is from the Old Testament. And it's this guy, Joseph, when he's a 12-year-old punk teenager full of pride, he gets thrown in a pit and then in a prison. He gets in all these problems. His brothers started the whole thing. They wanted to kill him, but they sell him instead. Now, let's talk about some family dysfunction right there, right? Well, when he finally grows up and he achieves this amazing power in Egypt, a second only to Pharaoh, and then he rescues his family and he reveals himself that he is this, the son they thought was dead. He says it this way, you know, you meant it for evil but God meant it for good. He used this painful situation in my life to save the whole family and the nation. What if God is doing something like that in your life? What if right now in the middle of struggle, in the middle of pain, God is just waiting to turn the corner with you, waiting to do something amazing? I know this, friends. The most painful parts of our lives that we wish never happened to us or that we never did to somebody else those dark scars and memories, the things that we would like to bury in the backyard 20 feet down and forget are the very things that God wants to dig up, bring out, expose to the light, bring health and healing and hope for other people and use us as an ambassador of an example of a wounded warrior, someone who God has rescued. We can help a lot of people with our own suffering. Point of light number three, is this, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this, one day suffering will cease and evil will be judged. 
one day the Bible says it's all going to be taken care of. A lot of times I hear this, if God can, you know, deal with evil and suffering, why doesn't he just do it right now, right? Why doesn't he just take care of it? I mean, to criticize God in the middle of the story because he hasn't, you know, tied up all the loose ends is like reading a Stephen King novel, you know, at night when it's really dark and only getting halfway through and throwing the book out and going on Facebook and going, what a stupid book. He never tied up the loose ends. I don't understand why these characters are being developed. Why wouldn't he finish it? Well, he is going to finish it. And you and I get to read to the end of the book. I mean, the fact is, is that if God said today, if every cell phone got an Amber Alert and every text message showed up and on Facebook, everywhere, all over, on every internet and television show, God shows up and says, hey, at midnight, I'm coming back. I'm going to eradicate the world from all the evil in the world. How many of us would be here at 1201? None of us. Well, well, then why does God delay? Why does God wait? Well, the promise is he's doing something. In fact, you know the greatest thing God's doing? He's saving people. Peter says it this way. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. I've thought that, right? You've thought that. God, come on, you're slow. He's not. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. I know, I know it might not you know, move your heart so much to think about it this way because you're in pain right now and you're suffering. But the reason he delays is because there are more people that need to hear. There are more people that need to respond. There are more people that need to see yes to Jesus Christ. I've said it this way before, but I am so thankful that Jesus didn't come back and, 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 and cause the end of all things in November of 1979 because I wouldn't have made it. I'm glad he waited till December. He's waited 40 years. He waited for me. He's waited for others. Maybe he's waiting for you. Maybe you're one of the ones he's waiting for right now. Why would you delay? Why wouldn't you turn to him today and say, yes, God, I will trust in you. I will believe in you. I will follow your son, Jesus Christ, as the hope, the way, the truth, and the life. Then you're going to be one of those people that he looks to in glory and says, I waited for you. Isn't that worth it all? I think it is. God says, I love you so much that I'm going to hold back the curtain of all eternity and I'm going to wait for you to come in. Point of light number four. You know, our suffering, although pretty great right now, will pale in comparison to what God has in store for us. Now, I don't say this to minimize suffering because I never want to do that. I know many of you have gone through far worse than I have. Um, but think about this. The guy, Apostle Paul, who suffered beatings, shipwrecks, and hunger, and thirst, and cold, and shivering, and abandonment, imprisonment for Jesus, he wrote these words. For our present troubles are small. Kind of sounds like an insult, huh? Your present troubles, my friend, are small. Well, let me, let me keep going. And won't last very long. Well, that's not even helpful that actually kind of gets worse right because if you're like it's lasted a long time i've suffered for years some of you are thinking physical emotional relational you know what it's like right put it into perspective paul says for our present troubles are small and won't last very long yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever so we don't look at the troubles we can see now rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen the unseen for the things we see now will soon be gone but the things we cannot see will last forever 
This guy doesn't have a connection to reality, right? Well, of course he does. He was beaten. He was abused. He was almost killed for the sake of Jesus. He had physical issues. His friends deserted him. And you know what? He says, all of my pain, there's going to be something far better. Our present troubles won't last very long. He says in Romans chapter 8, yet what we now suffer is nothing, nothing compared to the glory he will reveal in us later. Now, let's imagine that it's January of, of uh, 2020, and it's our first day, and um, man, you get a root canal, um, you, you go to your bank and you find out somebody has stolen your identity and all your money's gone. Your 401k is not even a K. And, um, and, and, and there's nothing left. Your family deserts you. And, I mean, it's the worst of all days, right? And you have a good friend that comes up and says, so how's your day going? And you go, man, it could never get worse than this, right? Then January 2nd, the issue is solved. The money comes back. The tooth is healed. Your family comes back. Um, you, you win the lottery the next day. On the 3rd, you discover that your rich uncle you never knew you had leaves you an inheritance of a billion dollars. And then the, the next day, you discover that you actually, you know, received in the mail some original Apple stock. And, and the next day, you discover that, you know, and it goes on and on and on and on and on, that every day is phenomenal. Well, at the end of the year, by the time the new year starts and your, your friend comes back and says, hey, so how was, how was the year 2020? And you go, oh, man, it was, it was like to die for, the best year ever. I can't believe. And you begin to recount all this awesomeness. And your friend's like, whoa, 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 I'm confused. I thought you said it was the worst year ever. And you go, well, it was that day. But every other day was amazing. The Bible declares, this is not some escapist myth. The Bible declares that no matter what we go through here on this earth, it's just a sliver of our existence because eternity is that, that every day in the presence of God is going to be heaven. It's going to be bliss. It's going to be paradise. And no matter what we suffer here on the earth, it's small and won't last long compared to the glory that God has in store for us. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You know, you, you probably have loved ones that have gone ahead of you. And no eye, no eye would have ever imagined what they saw. No ear would have ever imagined what they heard. No heart would have ever expressed and experienced what they saw when they woke up with God in glory. Point of light number five, and I want to draw to a close with this. We decide whether to turn bitter or turn to God for peace and courage. It really is our choice. I mean, I've, I've seen it. Uh, two people have gone through virtually the identical set of circumstances, and one goes down a road of pain and suffering, chronically bitter, chronically angry, runs away from God, runs away from people. Their life begins to shrivel up. You see it on their faces. There's just such suffering and bitterness and pain and anger. They're sour and closed off from others. And yet the other person, for some odd reason, ends up beautiful, knowing that, that what God has done in their life has been great as he's brought healing I mean, they become more tender. They become more loving and more attractive. They run into the arms of God and find safety in the middle of suffering. You know, our choice is our choice. We will either choose to run from God and experience all of the bitterness that results in pain and suffering or to run to God 
and be embraced by him. Jesus said this, John 16, here on earth, here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. You know, God's ultimate answer to why is there evil and suffering and pain in the world today is not really an explanation. It's the incarnation. It's God loving us so much that he would come down and experience it himself, that he would be face to face with it. I mean, I could never love a God who was distant. I could never love a God who was disinterested or detached, watched suffering from afar, played me like a puppet. I could never love a God like that. But I can't help but love a God who comes down and says, I've walked your shoes, James. Who looks at you and says, I've experienced your pain. I've experienced the abandonment. I've experienced the suffering. I mean, the real answer to pain and suffering and evil and all is Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus is sitting there right, right beside you in the lowest place. Corey Ten Boom wrote this while sitting in a Nazi concentration camp. No matter how deep our darkness, God is deeper still. Are you broken? Jesus was broken, and he was broken for you. Are you despised? Jesus was despised and rejected for you. Do you cry out, you just can't take it anymore? Man, he cried out on the cross. It is finished. The Bible says he was a man of sorrow, acquainted with the deepest grief. Did somebody betray you? Yeah, he was betrayed by his close friends and one of his followers. Do you love someone? And have him walk out on you? Yeah, Jesus knows what that's like. He knows what it's like. Does God enter into your own suffering in private hell? Absolutely. Because he walked through the fires of hell to pay the punishment of our sins. Psalm 34, 18 says this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I love this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And friends, if, if you're crushed today, and your spirit is broken, and you're feeling the pain, God says, I want to draw you close to me. I want to rescue you. Um, maybe not ultimately till our own passing or till heaven, but God knows the pain you're going through. He knows the suffering you're experiencing. I, I don't. I, I don't necessarily know that. If there's a way we can pray for you, man, send a prayer to prayers at isunrise.com, prayers at isunrise.com. We have a prayer team. We'd love to pray with you. If there's a way we can visit you, and, and, you know, with the middle of social distancing and all this health stuff, we'd love to be there for you. But more than that, God is right there with you. He is close to the brokenhearted. Where are you going to end up, though, is the question. Are you going to run from God, or are you going to run to him? Are you going to run from God and live in the bitterness and pain and suffering of your life? Look in the mirror every day and see yourself dry up. Or are you going to run to God and experience his grace and his mercy and his freedom and his love? Are you going to end up a living testimony to how no matter what happened in this world, you came out shining like gold. You are a star for Jesus Christ. If you feel like you're in a blizzard right now and you can't see, and it's cold and it's dark and the snow is everywhere, uh, there is a point of light, and it's Jesus Christ himself you can cling to, and you can walk to him. Now, I, I know I've been there, and you've been there too. God knows your pain. Uh, an old Keith Green song. <laughs> My son got a record player, and we pulled out some records, and Heather Brown gave him an old Keith Green album. You can run to the end of the highway and still not find what you're looking for, but it will not make your troubles disappear. 
Don't run away from him. Run into his arms. Would you pray with me? Father God, you know, in the middle of pain and suffering, in the middle of just deep anguish, we can cry out to you because you know pain and you know suffering and you know anguish. Jesus himself on the cross bore all of that suffering. But he bore our sin. He covered us with his blood and he, in his love, paid the price for our rebellion, our waywardness, our moral evil, our natural evil. He covered it all because he loved us. And so, God, I pray for the person listening, watching today, that they would know with certainty that they're loved dearly by you. And if they've never come into a relationship with you, Christ, with Jesus Christ, that they would come to you and believe in their heart that you raised Jesus from the dead and that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and by doing so be saved. And not just saved today, but saved for eternity. And not just rescued today, but rescued for all of eternity to know that one day we will see you face to face and we will be like you. And then everything else will fade away. And we'll have eternity to tell stories of pain and suffering. We'll show scars and we'll show wounds, but we'll look to Jesus who had the scars and who had the wounds for our salvation. So God, move in our heart to draw close to you. And if we know somebody out there busted up and broken because of the sin of this world, may we come around him and embrace him and bring him into this family. Through Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.